Let's open our Bibles this morning to John chapter 6. Remember living back in uh, Pennsylvania, and I think, uh, I don't know exactly how it happened, but my parents got one of those bread-making machines. Okay, they were really popular at one point, and um, they were... They were okay with it, and then they gave it to us, which was, oh, that was a mistake, because we made bread like nobody's business, okay? And the problem was we would make a loaf of bread, and of course, you know, it, it cooks, and that smell fills the house. And, and, and fresh baked bread is right up there with butter and onion and garlic, okay, in my life, and, you know, and that smell. So, and... and and I'll drag my wife down with me. We'd eat the loaf of bread before dinner, okay? So we actually had to give it back, as I recall, because we were just simply eating so much bread because it was so good. Well, bread is like that, especially, the, you know, you get the, the bread right out of the oven, and it sits long enough so when you cut it, it doesn't deflate or crush. And you put the butter in, and it just melts all over there. And... All right, enough of that, enough of bread. <laughs> But that's what bread is like, okay? Now, we're going to look at bread today because this is an important factor in the life of the New Testament. It was a staple of their diet, uh, bread, and came in a variety of, of uh, grains. I mean, we have wheat bread and barley bread, and we looked la- last week at the feeding of the 5,000 and the little boy who had barley loaves, and barley was for the, the poor people because it was uh, a rougher grain, and uh, if you've ever been anywhere around the rest of the world, you understand that bread in other places in the world usually is a little bit more hardy, hardier than what we get. I mean, we get the Wonder Bread, at, you know, sixth of the roof of your mouth. And uh, if you're from western Pennsylvania, you know about ketchup bread. And that's what the miners used to eat. They would take that into the mines with them, just put ketchup on bread. That's all that they needed. Um, well, when I was in Russia years ago, we, we, we were given a lunch, and we would go out and, and, and do, do our work during the day, and then we would stop wherever we were and have lunch. And the lunch was mostly two pieces of bread about that thick with something in between. And they weren't very particular about what was in between because what was in between was not important. Okay? The bread was important, and it was dark, and it was rich, and you could smell it, and, and you know, it had character and body to it and presence. It wasn't that wonder bread. Nothing got stuck to the top of your mouth. You were, you know, it was kind of rough, and, and it went down, but it was real bread, okay, real bread. And that's the kind of stuff that gives life. The wonder bread doesn't give life. It just holds what's in between it, but the real bread gives life. So let's pray before we read the word of God. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, pray that we would be mindful that the bread that we are called to seek is not the temporary stuff, not the stuff that sticks to the roof of our mouths, but it is the real stuff, the stuff of of the presence of God, the stuff of Jesus Christ, for he is the bread of life. Lord, help us examine each of our own hearts and each of our own lives and where we are that we might understand what it is that we are seeking after and if we have been seeking the wrong things or or perhaps out of our own ignorance seeking the wrong things that we would put the bread of this world aside and set our hearts on the bread 
that gives life everlasting, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. The passage today is, is, is quite long, so, so stay, stay seated. Now I will read from John chapter 6, beginning in verse 22. The next day the multitude that stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other small boat there except one, and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away, gone away alone. There came other small boats from Tiberias near to the place where they ate the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the multitude therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the small boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. Now this is this is plain and straightforward. They saw the miracles. They ate of the miracle. They chased after him. And we saw this, that, that some of them loved the wrong Jesus. They loved the miracle-working Jesus. Remember, they loved his miracles, but when they heard what he had to say, that's when they started to, 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 to think that maybe this isn't the guy that we want, and eventually they killed him. Well, here they have sought him, not because you saw the signs. It's not just the signs, but because they ate. Now, Subsistence was kind of difficult at this time. It was working each day so that they might have something to eat, that they might be able to survive. It's not as if in today's world we can go down and perhaps you've got a freezer or two and you can fill it with chicken and, and, and beef and other things and know that for the next, uh, as long as we don't have the power outage, as long, you're going to eat for a month. That wasn't the way it was here. If you've been to other cultures and know where there's not refrigeration, you're going to the market every day, maybe two times a day, so that you can prepare the meal for that afternoon or that evening. And you go to the market and you see everything hanging in the market, uh, the vegetables, the meat. They use every part of the animals. Remember I was in Haiti and um, they had these little um, cheesecloth bags. And, and they were filled with something. And that was at the end of the line, okay, as far as the animal displays. How about that? Uh, and I said, what is that? And they said, don't ask that question. And I said, what do you do with it? That you put it in your rice. I said, do you open the bag? They said, no, 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 don't open the bag. You put it in your rice, and when your rice is cooked, you take it out and discard it. And what does it do? It adds this great flavor to it. And I don't know what it was. It was some portion of the animal that they didn't want to tell me. And I, uh, it's probably best that I didn't know. Okay? Well, here they were working every day so that they could have food. And Jesus says, it's okay. That's important that you have food in this world. But are you so focused upon working for the things of this world that you don't know about the bread of life? That you don't know that I've come to really give life? Now, the people here were subject, basically... To a famine. Now, famines are quite common in the world, and according to uh, the, the research that I did, the, one of the Nobel Prize winners in economics um, says the greatest cause of famine in throughout history has been authoritarian rulers, 
despots, dictators, communist leaders, things like that, who, according to their plan, take food from this side of the room and give it over to this side. And they really don't care whether you eat or not. That was clearly seen in the famine of the Ukraine back in the 30s, where Stalin came in and and swept all the food out of the Ukraine, which was the breadbasket of of the Soviet Union, and took it to the cities because that's where the production was, and they needed that food. You people in the Ukraine, tough beans for you. You just starved. There are other reasons for famine. We see the great potato famine in, in Ireland in the 18. 1830s maybe, I forget exactly when, when a blight hit the potatoes and it it killed off large portions of the crop. Well, there's also another type of famine. And if you want to, you can turn to the book of Amos, the the eighth chapter. Amos is right between Obadiah and mm, Joel. Now, Amos doesn't have much good news for the people. Um, In fact, most of his news is uh, death and gloom and struggle, and you're going to be taken off uh, through the walls that are all torn down, and you're going to have basically, in in I think it's the fourth chapter, you're going to be taken off, tied to one another. You'll have fish hooks in your nose, and they'll be tied to the person in front of you, and they'll have a fish hook in their nose, and they'll be dragged out. Not much joy. There's only a couple portions of any hope in Amos. This is not one of them. Uh, Chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. This is the worst type of famine. Scripture talks a lot about famine, a lot about not having enough to eat, uh, and famines to come in the future. But this is the worst type of famine that is listed in Scripture. Chapter 8, verse 11. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land. This comes from God. Not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. And people will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. A famine in the land, and that famine is a famine of the word of God. A word from the Lord. When will we hear from the Lord? What does the Lord have to say? Some people impose on their own selves a famine of the word of the Lord. They simply don't read. They figure, well, I, I go to church and, and that'll be enough. And, but no, that's not what the Lord wants. The Lord wants us to feast upon his word so that we don't have a famine for his word. So that we have a regular input. Now, if we looked around our own homes, how many Bibles do we have in our own homes? Um, I mean, I've got the Bible on, on CD. You can listen to it in your car. You can go on your computer if you've got your phone, whatever it is. There is no thirst for access to the Word of God. But there is thirst and hunger in a lot of people's lives for the Word of God because they just don't do it. They figure that we're so saturated as a culture with it that, that I'll get it. But they don't get it. And then they wonder why they're dry. They wonder why they, don't, they, don't, they aren't close to the Lord. They don't feel His presence in their lives. They wonder why... What does the Lord speak to me? I mean, there used to be a time when, when I could just feel that I was supposed to go and do this, or I, I felt his leading and I felt his security. Why don't I feel that anymore? Because you have a famine in your life. You have a famine for the word of God. Now, 
Now, the people of Israel and the Jews, particularly in the New Testament, they remember what they were taught about food from the Lord. And we all know what happened back in Exodus uh, 6th chapter, uh, I believe, 16th chapter, when the people have come out of Egypt and they're kind of stuck out there in the desert. And they said, what are we going to do? You know, let's go back to Egypt because at least there we had, you know, garlic and onions to eat. And out here in the desert, we've got nothing. And the Lord says, I will provide for you. And he brought them manna. Now, the manna was something that came each and every day. Every morning they would go out and it would lay like dew on the ground. And they would go and collect it. But what were the parameters of it? Only for that day. You could only collect enough for that day unless it was the day before the Sabbath. Then you got two days. Because if you collected more and you didn't use it, in the morning when you got up, that would all be rotten. Now, this is not uncommon because as, as, a, as a thought of trusting the Lord. Remember the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Okay? Now, daily is mentioned twice. There are 64 words in the English translation of the Lord's Prayer. And to double up a word, must have, it means it must have great significance to it. So give us this day, today, our daily bread. And in the Greek, that word means our daily ration. Give us what we need to get through today. What will we do tomorrow? We'll ask again for tomorrow. But we will trust the Lord that he will provide for us the bread to get us through tomorrow. Now, all of this is about bread. And, and it's more than just this food that we eat. It's more than just trusting the Lord for the temporal things of our world. We're talking about a much deeper understanding of what bread is. Okay? Jesus Christ said, I am the bread of life. Okay? There's one of the I am statements. He, he went all through and said, I am the gate, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Um, uh, you know, I am the living water. Remember, he went to the woman at the well, and she says, well, give me some water so that I'll never thirst again. And he is the living water. Well, naturally, in John chapter 6 again, the people want to know, okay, we want this bread of life. We want this stuff that will never hunger again. And a natural question from their point of view would be, what do I have to do to get it? Okay? Isn't that what, what we are naturally? What do I have to do to get this stuff that I will never hunger again for the rest of my life? And Jesus, in verse 27, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you, for on him the Father... Even God has set his seal. Well, what shall we do that we may do the way we may work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. Now, it's kind of a letdown. Here we have a challenge that you can have food, you can have bread that you will never hunger again for the rest of your life. Now understand bread is, is, as I said earlier, was a staple in this society, a staple to their diet. Meat was an iffy thing, vegetables were iffy things, bread was always there. It was always there. So they think, what could I do to have this bread all the time? Believe in him who he sent. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we understand that 
that doesn't fill my belly. And Jesus is talking about eternal food, and they're talking about the temporary food. And that was always one of the problems that Jesus faced. They would want to know about the things about here and now, and how do I deal with this? Um, the woman at the well, the rich young ruler, the Jews on the day of Pentecost, the Philippian jailer, the prodigal son, how do I deal with today? And Jesus is talking about the bread of life unto eternity, okay? that we are to seek after those things. Are we to seek after the things of this world that, that get us through the day? Well, yes, we are. But more importantly, we're to have our, our faith and our trust and our joy and all our satisfaction in the things that Christ offers us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what happens after that? Everything else will be added unto you. Does that mean that I, I've just given you the plan for life, that you can go home and spend your day in the lazy boy chair and, and just focus all upon the things of, of the scripture and read it, and then you'll go to the refrigerator that night and there will be food in there? Well, there might be food now. What about tomorrow, the next day, or the next day? You say, but Lord, I'm seeking after you. Well, you know, there are other things we have to do. I don't want to be so heavenly minded that we don't have application in this world. But we understand that the Lord says we are to take our joy and our satisfaction and our peace and our comfort from those things that are eternal. Yes, we do the things that are temporal. We do the things that are necessary. We have been gifted to excel in this world. We have been gifted to do great things in this world. But if our hope and our trust and our complete satisfaction lay in those things, we will be sorely disappointed. We will not understand the things of Christ. Well, let's look at the rest of the chapter here very quickly. And Jesus unfolds everything for us here. Verse 35. Well, let's start in verse 32. Truly, truly, I say to you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. Because they had a little issue here. They said Moses gave the bread. No, no. Moses was just the vehicle to communicate that. It was the Lord. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said, therefore, to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. But I say to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. Here it is. All that you seek stands right before you, but your eyes are darkened to it. You just can't see it. Jump ahead to verse 51. Jesus says, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread also which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now, that's completely past them. Okay, they, they just do not grasp what he is talking about. Now, we who are looking back through his death and his resurrection can see what he is referring to, but the multitudes here were just not ready for this information. 53. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, abides in me, and I in him. They didn't understand anything that he was saying. Later they would look back and see what he meant. 
later as he broke the bread and said, this is my body given for you. As he took the cup, the cup of the new covenant, my blood that is shed for you, then they could see what he was referring to. Feasting upon the spiritual food that Jesus Christ gives. The food that perishes, well, that's the things of the world. Now, are we to have the things of the world? Yes. Are we to feast upon them, find our satisfaction in them? No. Our satisfaction and our peace must lay with the things of Christ. Don't seek the food that perishes. Seek the kingdom of God. Now, let me look at two areas very quickly in our lives, spiritual and vocational. Our spiritual lives. Is it possible to seek Jesus and believe in his power and be completely lost? Yes, it is. You can seek after him. You can manifest certain things in your life that, you know, it's, if, just because it looks like a duck and smells like a duck does not necessitate that it's a duck. Just because somebody mouths the words of Christianity and gives some appearance of that does not necessitate that their life has been changed. There are nicer people than us out there in the world who do not believe. Okay? There are more compassionate people than Christians out there. And they don't believe. Remember in Revelation chapter 2, I believe it's, it's the church at Ephesus, and they've lost their first love. John says, you know, you've got your doctrine right. You say all these right things, but your heart is not right. Your heart is not broken before the Lord. You've become so hardened in your effort to have right doctrine and a right stance and to toe the line and to cross the T's and to dot the I's that you forgot about compassion. You forgot about caring for one another. You've forgotten your first love in the things of Christ. So in our spiritual lives, we can have the right externals, but if our hearts are not broken before the Lord, then we will not be right. We will be in a famine state. Now how about in our daily life? Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now, how do you get up every morning and go to work and not work for the bread that perishes? Okay. Aren't you going to work and at, uh, every two weeks or every month or every Friday or whatever, there comes this check or you work and you produce and, and perhaps you're on uh, commission or you, you, you create things yourself. Though that, that stuff perishes. How is it that we can get up every morning and work in that fashion but not have that fill our lives and consume our lives? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 29. We live in a time of great urgency, and, and this is reflected in this passage. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened, so that from now on those who had wives should be as though they had none. Now, Paul is speaking somewhat figuratively here. He's not saying, get rid of your wife, Okay. But he's saying, remember, the time is short. Christ is going to come back when? Soon. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the form of this world is passing away. Paul is saying, don't get so focused upon this temporary world. Now, understand, that's all that we know in a sense of our, our senses. I don't know heaven. I can read about heaven. I can sense the presence of the Spirit in my life, and I can be assured of certain things, but I can feel this. He says, but don't get so caught up in this, because this will pass away. 
even in our finite minds, we have to remember that this is only a small portion of our existence. For the believer, when, when we are gone from here, our existence will go on for all eternity with our Heavenly Father. So work and be about the business that the Lord places before you, but don't so get obsessed about this world that you do not take your joy and your peace from the things of Christ. Jesus said, my will, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. Okay? What is your food? What is the bread that you feast on? Yes, we eat the bread of this world, but do we feast on the bread of Christ? Do we take our joy and our comfort and our love and our excitement from the things that are eternal? Or do we get it from the things that in the morning are going to be rotten, like the manna? We have to examine our own hearts and look at our own world. I... You, know, you have to come to grips with where you are on that yourself and look and ask yourself the question, are the things that I love the things of this world or the things of Christ? Now, I can use the things of this world to show Christ's glory or I can be so fixated on the things of this world that they are only my glory. What is it in your life? What are you feasting on? Or is there a famine for the bread of life in your heart? Let's pray. Lord, simple bread. Bread that is so common in so many cultures, so important to life. But there is another type of bread that is offered to us. That is Jesus Christ. The one who gives life. The one who satisfies us. But we don't understand that satisfaction. We don't understand that, that quenching of hunger in our lives until Christ lives within us. Until we have put ourselves aside and relied completely on the things of Christ. Then we can find satisfaction. Then we can find fulfillment. Then we can find the purpose that we're, we're here for. But until then, Lord, there is a famine in our lives. Pray that each heart today, Lord, would be opened that our eyes would be focused, that we would see where we're attempting to feast. Is it this world or is it on Christ? And where is our satisfaction? Is it this world or is it in Christ? Speak to us today, Lord, that we would feast upon the bread of life. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn is number 91, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus. Let's stand as we sing number 91.